Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be taking a deep dive into a number of UK equities within the growth space. And to do that, we're very kindly joined by Charles Archer, who is a financial analyst uh, for UK Investor Magazine, Kemley Capital IG, amongst others. Charles, thank you very much for being with us today. Oh, thank you, Jonathan. It's a wonderful to be on the show. So, Charles, we have three companies we're going to be discussing today in some detail. We're also going to be taking a bit of a probe into the overall small cap market, the A market at the moment, and see how things assessing up. Uh, the first company that we're going to be discussing today is going to be Premier African Minerals. We're then going to discuss Tech Capital and we're going to move on to Avaxa. But before we get into those individual companies, Charles, let's let's speak if we may about the overall market because it's been a, it's been a tough year. It's been Indeed. a tough couple of years. Uh, very much in the doldrums at the moment in the, the small cap world, uh, you know, aim market at the lowest levels for, for, for some years. Indeed. But you're, you're pretty positive. And I want to bring some of that positivity into the into the podcast to start with and, and get your views on, on, on where we are now, why we're here and how you see things changing as we go into Q4. Okay, so I would say, you know, my basic perspective on the small cap market is that when interest rates are rising, uh, small caps suffer. And this is very simple to understand because if you're a retail investor um, and not, you know, TR1 holders with millions of pounds, if you're a retail investor with, you know, a couple hundred man- pounds a month to invest extra, right, your choices are pretty simple, which is you can go for like a blue chip company, uh, like legal in general, that'll pay you kind of like a 7 8% dividend uh, every year. You can go for, um, with a little bit of risk, or you can go for... Uh, at the moment, you can go to uh, NSNI and get a 6.2% guaranteed growth bond, um, which is, you know, no risk at all over the course of a year. Or you can go to small cap companies, which are very high risk. Um, and the problem that we've had over the over 2023, and I guess over the past sort of couple of years as rates have been rising, is that as the risk-free returns in kind of blue chip companies or in bank accounts or in cash ices have increased, the risk of the small cap market becomes less attractive because say you're going to invest a thousand pounds in uh, premier African minerals or tech capital or Vactor or any of the other, you know, popular retail shares, you're not only investing a thousand pounds, say over the course of a year, you're also investing the extra money you would have got in interest or dividends, um, which is risks money. So say, 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 uh, say I, I, I should try to kind of break it down for you. Say, um, say you're talking to like a relative who doesn't really know much about the small, small cap space. Uh, you say, right, you've got to invest a thousand pounds in Premier African Minerals, right? Um, and it might do really, really well. Um, but also, you know, compared to like legal in general, it is a high risk company. You can do that. Um, or you can invest a thousand pounds into like a growth bond or into, you know, a saving account or a blue chip share and get sort of six, seven, eight percent return with very low risk. And it's 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 harder to get them to, you know, to just uh, to invest in the small caps, which is obvious. And then the same is true of institutions. Now, what's happened over the past three years is the A market has fallen by about a third 
um, which is you know really interesting because because again the risk premium people are staying away from those higher risk companies. Um, but now my thoughts are that interest rates are at or very near their peak, and therefore people are going to come back to these riskier companies at these you know, much lower valuations. And, um, and and then that's going to see the share prices start to rise again, especially as interest rates hopefully start to fall um, at some point over the next couple of years. Now, when you're uh, looking at like individual small caps um, like Pram or, uh, or Tech or Avacta, obviously there are specific investment cases, but it definitely is true that there's a large number of investors who were just staying away from the market waiting for the bottom to come in. And now that the bottom has come in, in my opinion, hopefully over the next you know couple of quarters, the shares of the market is just going to rise in general. What's your take? Do you reckon that's probably going to happen? Or do you think maybe we're a little bit early? So we, we actually did some some work on, on looking at trends within the, the AIM market and the economic indicators that can, I wouldn't say predict, but have a, a correlation with the aim and how it's performed over, I think we went back 20 years uh, or so. And what we found that was quite interesting, one particular economic indicator that we picked out was the GFK consumer confidence. Yeah. Uh, and, th- and that has more, more than anything, you know, more, more than GDP. Um, you know, th- there is, of, of course, a correlation with things such as, you know, inflation and you know, interest rates. But, you know, one of the things that really stood out for us was was the consumer confidence and how that performed compared to, to the AIM market. And we did find that, you know, when we see significant moves in the AIM, it was preceded on, on pretty much every occasion over the last 20 years by quite a sharp shift in consumer confidence. Mm. So, you know, when we start to see the economy go into a recession. You start to see consumer confidence uh, waver, and then you know a little bit later on, you, you you'll see the the AIM market fall um, as that economic data actually starts to to, to play out. So it's that confidence uh, which is a big indicator. And one of the interesting things that we're we're seeing at the moment is consumer confidence has actually been on the up for yeah. uh, for, for many many months now. And we haven't seen that tick up yet in in aim because it goes back to that that um, situation that you said at the morning at the beginning, uh, Charles. That you know, if you look at the composition of this market and, and the people that are uh, investing in it, it, it comes down to how much are they prepared to put into risk assets. And of course, if yeah. they're not particularly confident, they're not they're not going to do that. Um, but over time, as confidence starts to pick up, and there is a correlation with the confidence and and interest rates. You know, you st- you tend to see confidence fall as, as interest rates uh, are, are increasing. Again, there's a bit of a lag, but you know there is that perception now, and especially over the last few months, that we're getting up towards the the, the top of the hiking cycle, if mm-hmm. not at the top at the moment. And going into that, people realise, okay, we've already had this this hiking cycle. Confidence starts to pick up. It might go a little bit higher in terms of interest rates, but then confidence, you know, starts to increase, and we've seen that increase for. For many for many months now, but we haven't yet seen the, the 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 jump in aim that we've seen over the last twenty years. So it's quite an interesting correlation there, and that's one thing that that, that we see playing out later on this year. Well, I mean, wages are now rising higher than inflation. Whether inflation is going to peak again, I don't know. But it, you know, it, wages are now higher. 
SETI was talking about inflation reach, reaching 18% in January this year. Obviously, that never happened. Energy bills, residential energy bills are going to be under £2,000 a year on average when the energy cap gets announced um, next month, most likely. And uh, I think the other thing is that people are just adjusting to the higher rate environment. I don't think anyone's under the impression that we're going to go back to kind of 0.1% interest rates. But, you know, if the rates start to settle, you know, in the, over the median term at sort of like 4%-ish, then you, you've got people who are kind of adjusted to it and go, okay, right, this is the new normal. This is the way things are. And then they look at the market and they see all of these, you know, reduced, reduced small caps. I mean, Tech Capital, for example, we're going to talk about it shortly. They had to take a uh, paper loss or a write down on their assets. And yet, obviously, the assets that they have haven't, you know, changed in their actual nature. They're just seeing, you know, the value of them fall because of the higher rate environment. I do, I do think that we're at the bottom now, um, or you know, or, or at least very, very close. But again, with individual shares, individual companies, you have to take the individual investment case. Uh, one thing I would like to touch on really briefly, though, is um, fis- uh, fiscal policy. So um, they're talking. Uh, there is chatter about inheritance tax um, being, uh, uh, be- well, being got rid of essentially by the government. Um, now it's estimated that of the 90 billion pounds or so that's in the aim market 30 billion pounds or roughly a third of aim shares are held for inheritance tax purposes so obviously there's a lot of fear that if you get rid of inheritance tax a lot of money will just leak immediately out of the aim market now i don't think this will happen because it's quite likely the next government will be a red or a labor government who will just bring inheritance tax back in and individuals who kind of jump in and out of the market tend to get burnt so if you have financial advisors are going to say, look, it's not worth taking your money out of the A market because by the time there's a new government, potentially as soon as next year, <laughs> you're going to have to put your money back in. And the other the other macroeconomic thing that's really interesting is um, there has been widespread speculation at the Financial Times amongst other places that ISA allowances, um, either the 20 grand ISA allowance is going to be increased to 30 grand given that 75% of shares held in ISAs are UK-based or London-based, that could give a big boost to the A market. And then on top of that, um, there is some speculation that there will be a ISA allowance that's just for UK-based shares or, partic- or potentially just for UK-based shares under a certain market capitalization. So that could also be really interesting. So you, that's going to come in um, the um, November speech, the autumn uh, speech by the Chancellor. And I think that that could be really, really interesting. Yes, that's a quite an interesting point that you made there about the inheritance tax, because earlier on this week, we held the UK Investor Magazine Virtual Investment Trust Conference. And one of the trusts presenting was the Rights and Issues Investment Trust managed by Jupiter. It's one of the and larger actually, ones. Yeah, one, one of the large ones. And, and that, that very question was put to Dan Nichols, the, the manager of, of the fund, that how did he see it play out if we saw... IHT being scrapped in terms of the flows or, or outflows of money that's purely in the AIM market for inheritance tax uh, reasons. Of course, there's exemptions there. And it's quite interesting for him to say that, you know, yes, you, you may see a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. And, and of course, you know, there, there's an industry there which, which builds AIM portfolios for, for inheritance tax uh, reasons. Of course, that, that particular industry would be very heavily hit. But he made the point that you know that these companies are still companies. And yes, people might be investing in them 
because there are exemptions from inheritance tax, mm. but you know they're typically ones that have strong fundamentals anyway. You know, these are picked out by managers for for good reason. So if you do see that knee jerk reaction, it will probably provide a bit of an opportunity of to pick up yeah. quality quality stocks um, on, a, on a on a bit of a dip. Well, let's hope so. I, I I don't know. I mean, all I do know is that the inheritance tax changes, if there are any, and the ISA changes, if there are any will be in that um, statement from Chancellor Jeremy Hunt in November. I think it's November 22nd off the top of my head. And on that day, I suspect there'll be huge volatility. So if you're someone who's a long-term investor, and there's specific, I won't name the companies, but there's if you do your own research, there's specific companies that will be highly volatile when those announcements are made, if they are. There's some really great opportunities there to buy for the longer term. Obviously, not financial advice at all, but it's the sort of thing when when the government gets involved with meddling with kind of like the, the long term nature of investments, you tend to get some really great opportunities. So hopefully, hopefully we'll see some. Yeah, it, it, it's set to be a cracker. Uh, the uh, that the statement in November. Hopefully, it's not anything like the autumn statement we had last <laughs> year. That was nothing short. Well, a disaster, um, but you know, but there hasn't been any changes to it to investments and ISAs for for many many years, no. and it is something that the government's looking at, I think uh, it, and and for good reason. So that's that's going to be something that's going to be particularly interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, I guess I guess my, um, my the last point on ISAs I would say is there's nothing. Um, I, I cover shares all over the world for various clients, um, and if you're listening to this from Twitter, maybe you'll kind of get the impression that I'm mostly London focused. I, I'm based in the UK. But I do, I, I do cover um, stocks for you know in Australia, in China, in Japan, in America for various clients, and um, there's nothing like the ISA in the world. That twenty grand allowance and then your nine grand allowance for children as well is it, 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 there. There is nothing quite as tax advantageous. And then on top of that, again, not investment advice, but because capital gains allowances have fallen, dividend taxes have uh, allowances have fallen, dividend taxes have risen. Um, and then lots of exemptions and capital gains are being scrapped as well. Your ISA is becoming ever more attractive. Um, to, you know, so retail investors. So if you have a retail investor situation where anything outside of an ISA is being taxed really, really harshly, even compared to international standards, but anything inside an ISA isn't get taxed at all. When if if that allowance does increase, you'll see a massive uplift in the market because people will move money from cash or gold or bonds potentially if they can into stocks and if, if, if there's a specific ISA or an allowance that targets companies under a certain market cap giving you tax allowances in the same way enterprise investment scheme does for small private companies that aren't publicly listed again that could see a huge huge rise um, and I'm hoping I'm hoping what I'm hoping for is that on the monetary policy side interest rates are at near, nearly at a peak could go a little bit higher I think but they're nearly at a peak and then on the fiscal policy side our fiscal policy, which which um, is is encouraging people to invest in shares as well, so you might find that twenty twenty four is a really good year for the AIM market. And 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 you know when you look at like these charts that you see, you know, all over online, I think we're pretty much at the despondency stage. I think if you're an a Vactor investor and you see you know, an RNS comes out saying that you know we've got we've potentially got chemotherapy without side effects and the share price has now fallen since then, <laughs> that's gonna, that's going to yeah, that's that's going to uh, dent your confidence. And if you're Premier African Minerals and you say you know, um, lithium is as uh, is going. You know, fruit is being fed through the mill, and you know the share price rises maybe ten percent in another market. That would have been you know a one hundred percent day. 
but you know that's not the market that we have now in six months time i think it'll be radically different i really hope so anyway Yes, I mean, we, we were at uh, an event yesterday that was focused on bonds, put on by FTSE 100 asset manager. And there was, of course, a discussion about interest rates. And it was their view that if we're not at the top already of the hiking cycle, we are very, very close mm. to it. So that, that would play into a number of the factors that you have mentioned there, Charles. So we're going to move on now. We're going to discuss the three companies mm. that we have up day so first of all premier african minerals yes Charles. now this has been a a very interesting couple of months enjoyable couple of months (laughs) yeah to say the least yeah and you know things look like they're moving in the right direction now you know that it it looked like it was touch and go at at, at some point you know there's a lot of tension there but Mm. you know things look to be turning a corner they they have to and have had to upgrade the the zulu plant indeed um now that that's completed charles in your view do you think that they're now in a position to hit the targets outlined by the offtake agreement in in time for the deadline i believe it's the first of november uh yeah absolutely 100 percent. they're gonna hit that thousand ton per month deadline i i, I think that's I think that's almost a given at this point. And I think the share price just reflects the fact that obviously there's been delays. So people are worried that it's not going to happen. And also the fear, obviously, that in in the unlikely event that they didn't hit the target, obviously the share price would react very negatively. But I I think there's no doubt in my mind now that that target will get hit. The more interesting question really is, um, and I've I've done, you know, back of a cigarette packet, uh, you know, not not perfect numbers, but like reasonable numbers. Essentially, my argument is that you need to be hitting 2000 tonnes per month, um, which is double what the minimum target is, in order to pay all of them to to cover all of the costs and make a small profit as well. Uh, Now, with in the most recent RNS that came out today, uh, I believe CEO George Roach said that 2,000 tons per month is, you know, is very much achievable and is going to happen essentially from now, <laughs> hopefully, and therefore that's going to cover all of the costs. And then once you're at that 2,000 tons per month figure, um, not only will you have your offtake partner, Cam- Camax will be very happy with that. You're also covering all your costs, so you're not worrying about share placings. And I think that's also holding, even though uh, obviously there, uh, there's been a number of placings and. Um, they've raised a fair bit of cash. If investors know that enough uh, spotting mean or SC6 is being produced to cover all the costs of running the plant with some cash left over, then that's going to uh, really, really uh, increase the confidence. And, and then on top of this, you have this new brand new mill uh, being uh, put in at some point in uh, Q1. So at the moment, you uh, one of the key problems that the plant had was they needed to get a, a mill substitute, essentially, and they got one from an old an older site at RHA Tungsten, they've modified that mill so that it'll work with the uh, Zulu plant. But it's uh, a temporary fix, one would say. Um, when they put the new mill in that's been ordered, they're going to go from 2,000 tonnes per month up to sort of 4,500-ish. And then once that happens, uh, you're going to see uh, the share price explode and everyone's going to make lots of money. And obviously, you're still in that kind of higher risk area I wouldn't say you're any more in the um, high risk area like you were a couple of months ago, uh, when people were kind of panicking about you know the share price and Camax walking away or whatever else. Camax are never going to walk away. They they need the spotting mean, and obviously it's a negotiation tactic. 
But now, when you're looking forward, I'm looking forward to kind of a year from now, where you've um, where you've reached nameplate plate capacity, um, four thousand tons a month. You've gone higher than that. You're potentially adding more modules to get higher production. You're looking at potentially another pilot plant. Uh, Roach was in China uh, recently, and he's in London now, I believe, if my sources are correct. So I think, you know, and he was very impressed with the operation and he had an interview out today with a, a, another provider and he was talking, um, he was very positive about the plant. So I don't think there's any concerns about there being a thousand tons per month of production. I think that's all, well, it's certainly going to happen, I would say. But obviously, you can't put certainly, I say 99% sure that will happen. And then it's just, once that happens, there'll be a lot more confidence. And if, if they manage to get up to 2,000 tons per month and they're covering all the revenue costs, at that point, I think the confidence will come flooding back in. But again, I think October is going to be an extremely volatile month because over the next four to five weeks, you're going to get you know investors worried about RNSs coming out or not coming out. Is the plant working? Is it not working? Because at the end of the day, um, you're in the end game essentially, because the um, contract that has been drawn up with Camax, I leave this um, maybe in the last podcast with you. The contract they have with their offtake partner, CanMax, means that if you don't hit that minimum figure, actually the minimum is 900 tons, not 1,000, because there's, there's a little bit of variation. But if you don't hit that minimum figure, there will be, um, they're not penalties, but CanMax will essentially want their offtake payment in chunks back in cash. And the only way they'll be able to do that is raise money or in shares. And so it, 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 it's they have to deliver, and I'm certain that they will. And once they deliver them, once they deliver that cash, uh, once they deliver that, what you mean, um, Prem will be revenue generating, they'll be profitable. And once you hit nameplate and then off you go. Um, I would say, um, I'm sorry if I'm rambling a bit, but like uh, in Australia, the ASX lithium producers, so like Pilbara Minerals, for example, they ran into like similar kind of problems with the plant, getting the plant ready. They had police on site. They had somebody die at the site. There was investigations. The share got suspended a couple of times. The kind of problems that Prem African Minerals investors are seeing you see every time when you know a lithium or any other kind of plant tries to go online, there's always going to be issues. But now I think everything is resolved and investors are going to make a lot of money as long as everything goes according to plan. And there's that caveat at the end, which I think you always have to include. Yeah, so Charles, you said 99% sure that, it, that it's going to come online. In that 1% chance, mm. as, as, you, as you put it, if they don't meet it, this will obviously be of slight concern for, for investors yeah. at the moment. And you did you did allude to to what happens there, but you know, is this a complete disaster for for Premier African Minerals? You know, how, how much of a problem will it be for you know the company, the share price, if we get to the first of November and we get to an announcement to say, unfortunately, we haven't met this target. You know, of course, you said that's it. That's the outside it chance. Is. But let's just look look at um, both both scenarios here and, and and see what your thoughts are on that. Well, I think okay. So it, it it would in that very unlikely scenario, it would depend on exactly what the problem is. Now, um, let's let's let let's say okay, we've got to eight hundred tons. For example, we haven't quite met the minimum number of nine hundred or a thousand. Um, but we're absolutely confident we'll be able to increase it. That probably people would be, okay, fine, we'll just pay, you know, that's not the end of the world. We can live with that. If they say we still need to optimize and we've got zero tons, that would be an absolute disaster. So that, you know, somewhere in the middle of that, I think, I think if, 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 um, 
And then also it depends, you know, optimizing a plant. It's not like a Lego set. Obviously, they've had a lot of time now to start the um, plant operator. But when you're optimizing a plant, they've got the mill in. They've done a lot of work. At the moment, the work is focused on the flotation, um, which is uh, which which is a key step that you need to, you know, bring the grade up to SC6, you know, or decent quality, is what you mean. Um, and it, it all depends, I guess, on what the flavor, if that RNS in the very unlikely event came out, we haven't made the um, production targets. It would depend on what the flavor is. I suspect you'd see a really good buying opportunity if an RNS said something along the lines of, we've got some production, it's the right grade, but it's not quite enough, then that would be fine. Camax would be fine with it as well. We would be fine with it. If, um, But if, on the other hand, it said, it's a disaster. Then it would be a disaster. But I, I, I don't see it happening at all. I think, I think the the when Camax and Prem got back together and reagreed their um their numbers and their contract, they made a deal which was completely achievable. Because nobody wants nobody wants this to fail. I think this is the key thing to understand. Camax have got two massive lithium hydroxide plants, and they've got a contract with Ford to supply um uh, to supply you know, lithium hydroxide and batteries to Ford. So they need lithium from Zulu. Um, all of their other contracts they have with with other companies are kind of expiring for 2025, 2026-ish. So Canmax needs this lithium. Prem wants to sell it to them. So everyone wants it to work. So it's just it's just at, at this point now, it's just a case of get the first thousand tons a month out and then it's ramping up production. So my my if we want to talk kind of in risk, I think in my mind there's 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 three stages essentially. The first stage is We've done our first thousand tons. We've produced it. We've shipped it, and we've been paid for it, right? And that hugely risks the company. The second announcement is we're now up to two thousand tons, and hopefully, I'm hoping that the announcement will be we've done two thousand tons. You know, our first shipment will be two thousand. Like a thousand is the minimum. We could we could go straight for the two thousand. And George alluded to that in the in the results. If we just go straight to two thousand, you skip to level two, which is not only are we producing and not at any risk of any you know um, quasi penalties we are also funding ourselves completely and there's no risk of further dilution and then the third thing is when the new um, mill comes in and you ramp up to sort of four or five thousand tons of production and then thereafter you might find that Canmax or you know other parties in the area who are very interested in in, in the in the wider zulu epo come on board and put loads more money in and i've said this before i'm certain Canmax needs to be able to show its investors that you know they've got a return on their investment but once the plant is producing at scale, uh, Camax will then, I'm absolutely confident, want to invest significantly more to build more plants, to get more lithium out of the ground. Um, or the alternative uh, possibility is that by the end of Q1, once you're up to sort of four or 5,000 tons a month, there's a buyout offer and somebody come, you know, the Chinese come along and buy out Zulu, which I think is also perfectly possible. So in terms of those scenarios that you alluded to there, Charles, when we're sort of looking forward over the next month or so, you know, given that they look like they're up and running, when, when you expect, now, of course, you know, I can't, we can't expect you to, to know this. So <laughs> you know, it is a, a bit of a best guess. But, you know, in terms of the news flow that we're expecting over the next month to six weeks, you know, when do you think they may come out and say, look, we've actually hit this target? Do you think they're going to wait until the 1st of November? Do you think they'll, you know, as soon as they know they've hit the thousand, do you think they're going to make the announcement then? I think, um, you know, how does that look like to you? I think they have to, there's so many employees, um, private contractors on site and then employees on site as well, such an engaged retail investor base. 
that when when um, when the first sort of SC six uh, concentrate comes out of the plant, it'll be very difficult for the company to keep a lid on that very first production. So I suspect that possibly in the second week of October, you'll get an RNS saying uh, we've produced and you know this is the grade that we've got at the moment. I at the moment obviously they're still optimizing. So essentially, I guess you're going to have two RNSs. The first one will be kind of in the you know, second week, middle of October, where it goes, uh, we are producing, this is the grade, we're happy with the grade, Camax happy with the grade, we've started production. And then the second one will be, we've got to a thousand tons of production. And then hopefully, you'll then get a third one, which is, this is how much we're shipping to Camax. We've met the minimum 1000 plus X, Y, and Z. And that will hopefully come at the end of October. So I'm guessing that, guessing, I, my, my best estimate is that you're going to get an RNS in the next couple of weeks saying we are producing, and then you'll get a second one. We've got to 1,000 tonnes, and then a third one saying we've got to, you know, say 2,000 tonnes that we've managed to ship. One thing I find really interesting about uh, the way the contract is arraigned, um, and we don't have the exact terms and conditions because we don't have the original contract, but we have to meet a minimum of a thousand tons plus or minus 10% on average, right? Every month for the next uh, year or so. I, I, I'm only kind of looking forward to the next kind of six months because I do think the buyer offer will come if we manage to hit the targets. But the point is that say Prem managed to make 2000 tons over the next sort of four weeks or so, you would send a thousand tons to Camax and keep a thousand tons back uh, because regardless of anything else obviously plants can run into difficulties and it's good to have you know a, a couple of contingency thousands of tons in the bank essentially to make sure you can hit those minimum deliveries but yeah i i do think i do think there is this um perception that Camax are kind of an enemy they're not an enemy uh, they're a business partner and they're trying to get the best deal that they can they were promised spodumene in you know, i think march april this year and obviously we're now into like, october they're getting it in november um, it's important to note that they don't really have a choice. They do need that supply. I mean, they need that lithium. Uh, the, the other, their other suppliers won't, you know, be supplying them for much longer. So they do need it. And Camax as well. They did kind of put their flag on AVZ Minerals in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and they, they own like twenty five percent of the company. And that's just gone absolutely nowhere. It's mired in legal quandaries, and it's uh, that share has been suspended for over a year. So. Yeah, Camax needs Prem and Prem needs Camax. Prem will deliver the lithium. Camax will pay for it, and then hopefully six months from now, there's a buyout offer, and we can all go buy Lamborghinis and the, you know drink cocktails in the sun. I mean, that's that's a general idea. Nice, nice. So let's see how that's all. Uh, well, how it works uh, out, yeah. Out whether, whether you're si- sitting on a on, on a beach with the cocktails. Well, like, well I'll, I'll I'll finish it off with a ca- the caveat, the standard caveat, which is that you know this isn't like I, mean, I was alluding it to it at the very start of the podcast, but this isn't you know a guaranteed growth bond with NSNI. And this isn't um, this isn't you know a legal in general with your eight percent dividend. This isn't a cash ISA. This is a higher risk venture, um, as you know investors will appreciate. So you know if if you're not prepared for the higher risks that come with investing in African lithium companies, um, then stay away and invest in other other places. I guess would be my advice. Um, but if you want to make very outsized returns and are prepared for that higher risk then I think Prem is a really, really good opportunity. And I, I've said this since 2019. So hopefully it pays off and all that work was worth it. So moving on now, Charles, we're going to discuss Tech Capital. So Tech Capital had their half-year results out this morning. 
Um, there was a, a slight loss there, which is due to paper losses and the changes in yeah. valuations to some of their portfolio companies. But there has been, apart from that, significant progress Indeed. across the, 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 the portfolio. So this is really a company that you need to look at what the companies are actually doing in terms of the the action on the ground because it is one that's that's setting itself up for a for a pretty positive 2024. Indeed, so agrees. Completely there agrees. is a lot to do, to discuss here, Charles. But I'm going to ask you first because now this again is, is is a personal opinion of yours because they have the four main portfolio companies mm. of course Bellascura already listed on AIM portable oxygen manufacturer uh Microsalt which they did appoint the Nomad for at the end of last year yeah. and that looks like that's heading towards an IPO at some point um innovative eyewear the the smart eyewear specialist listed on the uh, the NASDAQ, and of course, Guidance um, Autonomous Vehicle Safety Networks and recently spun out its regenerative shock absorber mm. technologies into a new entity of those four companies. Now, of course, Charles, this is <laughs> a personal opinion of yours. What, what, which is the one that's most interesting for you and excites you the most? Uh, on, on a fundamental basis, for me, it has to be Microsoft. Um, so Microsoft has developed a new type of patented sodium essentially which has half the sodium of salt but um all of the taste um and, and i've tasted it for it this is true it actually it actually does they've got some really good partnerships in place they've got uh, jack stein on as a brand ambassador uh you know uk celebrity chef tech capital owns uh almost 100 percent of my i think it's 97.2 or something on this line so almost all of microsoft and it's partnered with a fortune 500 national retailer this is a company that's going to make money when it IPOs over the longer term. And what really excites me about Microsoft is that um, if you look at another company that I've covered in the recent past, uh, Optibiotics, they have a uh, sugar substitute, which which has a less, a much far fewer calories than sugar and is and is qualified as a um, as a fiber, as a dietary fiber. And that company saw massive, massive interest over the past few months. The share price has gone really, really high. I think Microsoft, when it IPOs, you might find investors look at um, Optibiotics and go, well, that's a sugar um, company. Microsoft is the salt version. So I can, I can definitely see a case where, you know, um, investors who have done really well in, Opti, in Optibiotics will go, let's just buy a few shares of Microsoft at the IPO, tuck them away, and that, that could see a really big boost. Uh, the second one, I'd say very close behind um, is innovative eyewear, so uh, Lucid. So they have a chat GPT-enabled um, eyewear, well, glasses, essentially. I say eyewear, the glasses, that's sunglasses. And they, um, they're they looking really interesting. Now, previously, I uh, it was an interesting product, but not particularly mainstream. Meta, um, the owner of Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram, has literally just announced its own uh, version of AI-enabled glasses. But the decent versions that people want to buy of those are retailing for sort of uh, $499, so let's say £450 in uh, UK cash. The Lucid glasses are start around £160. So you're going to see a case where people who might want to uh, try out the Meta glasses will look at the price tag and think, no, I can't, it's too expensive. And then look at the Lucid ones and go, actually, this is for us. And, and a key way to understand this is that Meta has partnered with Ray-Ban, 
which obviously is a very premium um, eyewear. Well, it's the most premium eyewear company. Um, anyone who's ever bought a pair of Ray-Bans will know, you know, the expensive ones are ridiculously priced. But uh, Innovative is partnered with uh, Reebok, for example. So it's it's even though it's, you know, a quasi-premium brand, it's kind of like you 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 can see a case where people who are going okay I don't I don't want the um I can't afford the meta glasses or I can't not afford I can't justify the expense of the meta glasses but I can definitely justify the expense of the lucid ones so I can see that being you know and the fact is ChatGPT enabled and ChatGPT is going to launch its own IPO I I think I think there's lots of really good stuff going on there um Bellascura which is the third of four um of the key portfolio technologies. So oxygen concentrators, it's got a really interesting usable product. It signed a distribution agreement with McKesson, um, which is a a very large company in North America. I think I think it delivers roughly a third of all the pharmaceuticals in North America, and it's got the fourth largest pharmacy chain. It's like it's a massive titan. Bellasura obviously made a lot of news for this um, earlier this year. So again, Bellasura, but Tech Capital only owns eleven point two percent of the shares in that company. So while Bellascura probably has um, the highest potential, I would say, you have to balance that against the fact that it doesn't have, uh, Tech Capital doesn't have as high a share ownership. Whereas, you know, Tech Capital owns essentially 100% of Microsoft. And then the fourth portfolio company, um, you know, just a brief run through is uh, Guidant. And Guidant is a really, really, really interesting company. Um, it's it, uh, satellite-based space connectivity, AI, all of you know, honestly, a lot of uh, what Guidant does, it, I've done some research into them, but it, it, it wouldn't be out of place for the tech company like Tesla. And it, it's one of those companies I think will just get snapped up at a premium at some point. And again, Tech Capital owns 100% of the shares, uh, which, and it was you know, valued at $18 million um, just over at the end of June this year. And I, I think this is one of those companies which um, is just at some point is going to just get bought out uh, because, of, because of the opportunity. Now, the last thing I would say about the portfolio that they're kind of missing is a generative AI. But they, in their financial, in their results, they've made it very clear that they're actively seeking out generative AI um, portfolio companies they could invest in or, or start putting money into from a university startup, which is you know how tech capital operates. And I, I suspect, given the success they've had already, they're going to find another really good one. Indeed, indeed. I would also add that with Bellascura, um, there's actually been some numbers to some of those deals that they've announced. They've got $50 million worth of orders in from distribution partners, yeah. as well as uh, a royalty agreement over 10 years from their Chinese partners. Yeah, so it, China, Hong Kong and, and, and Singapore. So they're quite significant numbers and you know, really does pay testament to the process well, there. And, you know, some some of those commercial deals are are, are going to be good for, for better screw. Well, 11.2% 11, 11. of a very, very promising company is better than 100% of a company which might not go far. So, you know, it's when you're going for sort of this this kind of model, it, it, is, it is just definitely the case. Had they held on to as many shares as possible, it may not have grown so quickly. So, obviously, there's a balance there, isn't there? I mean, just look at the valuations now because... You know, there has been you know, price targets put out on, on Tech Capital One recently, 20, I think 21.4p 
Um, I know the the house broker SB Angel has a target, well, not so much a target, but a, a net asset value up and around 30p. But we're looking at shares trading now at around 12p. Yeah. Going back to what we were discussing at the beginning of the podcast, is this just the situation where people are looking at technology companies and looking where interest rates are and looking at the discount rates and saying, okay, we're in this higher rate environment. These technology companies may not be as valued as much as they should have been in, in a lower interest rate environment. And as soon as we start to see, I wouldn't say a normalization, but a, a, a move in, in interest rates back to the downside or, or even staying at this level without with the absence of any hikes, do you then start to see that premium disappear to some extent and these valuations move back up I, I, um, in terms of the market pricing towards the, the net asset values yeah i think so i mean bear in mind so in h what this this first half 2023 so january to june uh the there was a loss after tax of 10.1 million dollars right but actually this you know if you dig into the figures almost all of it 9.3 million dollars was just an unrealized decrease in the value of the portfolio i.e paper losses now are these uh, companies going to go back up? I think I think the Microsoft's IPO is going to be the first catalyst that brings it back up, um, you know, where the portfolio realistically should be. I do think that it's just tech capital is just, you know, its portfolio companies have been hit by this wider monetary environment where it's just you've got, for the first time in over a decade, decent returns on just, you know, savings accounts. But we're now, with the interest rates now peaking, the share prices have fallen, so they now represent decent value. Again, as you, I think there's been a fair bit of despondency in the market over the summer. Um, you know, where an RNS has come out for various companies, which would be company making in another market, the market, you know, the share price has barely moved. Now, when I look at tech capital, I, I see these portfolio companies. I, you know, unlike Premier African Minerals, where for me that's a higher risk, higher reward company that you know is going to make me an absolute fortune or i could you know potentially lose a large amount of money with uh tech capital it's one of those companies where i'm just buying you know right well at 10p is where where i was buying shares and it's up to the 12p ish now but in my mind it should be worth about between 20 and 25p um when the market recalibrates and therefore it's it's a company that's kind of lower risk it's got decent you know it's got a very um quality the portfolio valuation is 46.2 million dollars against, you know, a share price, which is <laughs> lower than that. Net asset value per share, 32 cents. You know, net assets at was $53.1 million. So you have a company that, you know, has very uh, decent assets. They've got, I think, $2.2 million in cash. So there's no issue in terms of um, cash flow. So uh, with Tech Capital, it's very much a case of um, balancing risk v reward. I think at this price level, it, it's potentially very rewarding with relatively low risk and that you know that that that's that's my basic view on the company in terms of looking at the listed companies already i think we have to finish with these bella Secure and of course innovative eyewear which tech capital has about 40 percent stake in listed on on the nasdaq both of those companies are are relatively low at the moment and, mm. they, and they do account for quite a significant tranche if not all of the paper losses yeah. that we've seen recently you know is there an element that that investors are discounting the potential for both these companies to go on a bit of a tear and really drag that net asset value up with them 
And then, you know, down the line, when the interest starts to come back into the shares, tech capital, of course, have, then have uh, lots of different options in terms of what they do with their portfolio realigning it and then making investments elsewhere yeah i mean it is interesting isn't it like for example could could um tech capital go okay well when, when those um valuations have increased you know sharply is it worth selling off a little bit and getting a much bigger cash position and then going after the other assets which you know are valued lower than what they should be i i think you know when you look at the valuations of these tech companies the smaller ones are really interesting fascinating actually i was talking with um yeah, I won't name drop. Actually, I was, talk- I was talking with another like kind of senior analyst um, at another company, and he was talking about how the narrative at the moment is that AI stocks, um, like the Magnificent Seven, the Nasdaq. Um, if you look at the S and P five hundred, the uh, top seven stocks, which are all pretty much all driven on an AI bubble, have risen really sharply. Everything else in the S and P five hundred, so the other four hundred ninety three are kind of flat in twenty twenty three. So these very large blue chip um, AI companies uh, like Microsoft, for example, um, or NVIDIA are taking all of the AI based capital (laughs) and, you know, all of the tech capital is going into those blue chips. And if that bubble pops and hopefully it will at some point soon, a lot of that money will flow back into the small caps. So as the money goes from the larger tech stocks, hopefully it'll go into the smaller tech stocks and you'll see some substantial rises. And then when they become overvalued, it'll flip them, you know, it'll flip around. But, you know, that gives you an opportunity as an investor to buy at the bottom now in tech shares and it'll give tech the company to sell off a little bit of, you know, its interest in various portfolio companies for lots of cash comparatively. Um, And yeah, so hopefully, hopefully kind of sort of um, towards the end of uh, the first half of next year, so sort of uh, May, June next year, you're, you're going to see share prices and tech cap- the share price and tech capital will rise quite sharply. And then on top of that, the company itself will have a lot more optionality rather than at the moment. If, you, if you're a tech capital CEO, you're not going to want to raise any money when the you know the net asset value of, a, of the portfolio companies are so low. And you're not going to, if you can avoid it, you're not going to want to sell off any ownership of assets when the... Um, when when the paper value of them is, is so depressed. So it's an interesting story to follow there in tech capital. We're going to move on now, Charles, and look at the last company we're going to discuss today, which is Avacta. Yes. Now, one that I know that you've covered for UK Investor Magazine in some detail, but since then there has been an awful lot happening. You know, of course, there was the major announcement which the CEO of Avacta called a, a potential paradigm shift. Paradigm shift, um, indeed. So pretty, pretty, pretty bold comments there. And we did see an initial jump on the share price, which has since faded somewhat. Yeah. It'd be good to get your insights into what's happening there, Charles, because huge announcement there. Um, you know, very, very successful results, but it doesn't seem to be playing out in the markets. Right. Okay. So I think with Avacta, because <laughs> oncology and the, it, it can confuse people, um, you know, exactly what they're doing so i think it's worth just really going for a really basic run through if you're a long-term investor you'll know all of this stuff and, and i'm not a scientist so you know apologies if i get any of the technical details wrong but basically um there are five different types of clinical trial types when you're looking at oncology so there's prevention trials um so so you know all there's screening trials there's diagnostics there's palliative and then you come to treatment trials. Now, a prevention trial is a trial, you know, where like vaccines or oral medications, screenings are, are you know, as you'll know, like a, a, a breast cancer screenings, for example. Diagnostic palliative is a pain, but treatment, there are really three kind of treatment trials. 
that are exciting institutional investment. So there's chemotherapy trials, targeted therapy trials, and immunotherapy trials. Immunotherapy is like CAR-T therapy, which is kind of cutting edge and very complex stuff. Um, but what Avact are doing, it are doing is at the intersection of chemotherapy trials and targeted therapy trials. And targeted ther- chemotherapy, people will know what that is. But targeted therapy is where you're targeting abnormalities that are specific to cancer cells that you don't find in healthy tissue. Now, when we come on to uh, Avacta, we I think it's worth starting with a uh, a brief caveat, and th- this is possibly why you know two caveats, I guess, why the share price has kind of fallen since that. Hopefully, catalytic RNS. I guess, uh, well, three reasons actually. The first is, as we were saying before, um, you've got a higher interest rate environment. That RNS in 2021 probably would have seen the share price double, right? But we're in 2023, interest rates are high, and the risk appetite is relatively low at the moment. Um, that's one reason. Uh, the second is you are it is still a phase one A trial, even though uh, it's incredibly promising results. Um, companies that I personally have covered. Uh, Synergen, Bridge Biopharma, Raphael, Sensorian, Angion Biomedica. I've, I've I've covered all of these companies and watched their very promising trials uh, crash. Um, I would say, though, Raphael's Devimistat is a, a classic example. This was, uh, they were trying a novel form of uh, chemotherapy, uh, which would be an improvement of Fulfurinox, which is a different type of um, chemotherapy drug. And uh, they got all the way to phase three trials, and then the uh, trial failed, and the share price dropped seventy five percent in the course of genuinely a few minutes. Now, um, with Avacta, I mean, there's 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 the opposite side of that. There's an ASX company that I followed, which um, it was going for a radiation therapy, and that company uh, increased by a thousand percent over a couple of years because they saw massive success in their uh, novel targeted radiation approach. Now. The problem that you're seeing with Avacta, um, I'd say in regards to the share price, is that while the words that are coming out of the RNSs are incredibly positive, and in a phase 1A trial where you're, you should only be seeing um, can, can people tolerate the drug, you know, can, can you even test with it, and you're seeing you know, medical uh, results, you're actually, I think they, 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 you know, in the RNS even said that you know, they saw clinically significant reduction in toxicities, clear signs of efficacy. Um, a couple in June, an RNS, they said that people um, on earlier earlier trials are staying on AVA 6000, the flagship drug, because the tumours are shrinking and they're improving. And remember, these will be, you know, by and large, terminally ill patients who, you know, are completely out of options. But this is the key thing, right? And this is not the science, this is financial analysis. So the hard data, so the numbers from the phase 1A trial are coming out in Q4 2023. So at some point, October, October, November, December, any point in the next three months. And where words can say, oh, this is, you know, the most incredible um, advance in, uh, in oncology treatment ever, uh, the numbers don't lie. So these are numbers that are probably not mean much to me. I'm going to be honest, um, I, I, I again, not, not someone who's trained in the science, but they will mean a lot to scientists who will, you know, external to a factor who will study them. And, you you know, I'm hoping as an investor that this is the breakthrough that chemotherapy um, uh, researchers have been looking for for, for decades. Because if AVA 6000 and by extension, the precision platform that it works on works, 
it means you can deliver doxorubicin, which is a chemotherapy drug, straight to the tumor without affecting any healthy tissue, without any side effects. You could have much higher levels of do they're dosing at much higher levels already than what standard doxorubicin is. And then on top of that, there is the opportunity if that all works out. And obviously you have phase two trials, um, which are, you know, phase one B is being accelerated. So phase two trials are going to be probably the second half of next year. But if that all works out and the precision platform works, ABA 6000 works, and and I think there's a good chance that it will. Um, but obviously, again, high risk. There is also the possibility you'll be able to use the precision platform, which um, which which delivers ABA 6000 uh, with a couple of cutting-edge uh, compounds like monomethyl or estatin E, which are uh, essentially their um, cancer drugs which you can't use because they're so toxic, they, they'll kill the patient as well as the tumors. But if you have a delivery system that can deliver those um, drugs to a tumor to only kill the tumor and none of the healthy tissue, you could have chemotherapy that is um, not only sort of three to four times more effective, but up to a thousand times more effective. And, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word cure in cancer, but it could be an effective cure. And obviously these are all the things that kind of running through investor minds. Um, in running through my mind as well, it is, you know, as a Vatica, it is incredibly promising. Um, it is, you know, a novel form of a long proven drug, but it is still in phase 1A and there is still one more cohort of phase 1A to be you know, reported back and the hard numbers. And my key concern with it is those hard numbers will come back and the excitement might fade if they're not as amazing as what people think they are. Or on the other hand, they are as amazing as what people think they are, and then suddenly you'll see, you know, massive, massive success. And 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 I guess I guess kind of like Premier African Minerals in that the mine must work, uh, not the mine, the plant must work. They must reduce body mean, otherwise the company will crash. Avacta is the same. They do have other assets. They do have a diagnostics division. But if ABA six thousand does not work, or by extension the um, precision platform they develop does not work then that share price will crash as well. So, you know, it's it's it, for, to my mind, it is a higher risk company. I, uh, if you look at like Trinity Delta, Delta or Stifle, they, they put the standard kind of 10% success, uh, chance of success on ABA 6000. I think it's much higher than that um, based on, you know, the specific drug. And the fact that, it, 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 again, the fact that it's a uh, improvement on current standard of care. But it is still very early stage. And, and, and the problem that you might have with investors uh, in a factor is that because it's cancer and one in, one in two people, 50% of people will get it at some point in their life, you, it's very easy to become very emotionally attached to the stock. Um, and and that, that's not something you should ever be with any company. You need to look at it. I look at it and I see a really, really great opportunity. And on a human level, incredible. Um, imagine being one of those kind of like very early patients who, you know, are on the verge of death. You run out of treatment options. You're essentially going on to a clinical trial to, you know, help future patients. And then your disease stops progressing. That, you know, nobody, you know, probably no one at Avacta thought that would happen. And it, certainly no investors at the time thought that would happen. But it, it's balancing that, you know, really, really high level of excitement with also accepting the fact that in, you know, on average, you have 10 clinical trials, nine fail, nine very highly qualified scientists who thought they had a really good candidate fail and only one succeeds. 
And so, you know, you have, you, I guess you have to balance that risk to reward. I think it's potentially very rewarding, but again, it's a higher risk company. Um, and we, I've made this, you know, this, this, this comparison before to, you know, legal in general, or like dividend st- shares or cash ices or uh, LSNI bonds. There are very low risk alternatives delivering reasonable returns in the market at the moment. Um, of active shares, you know, it potentially, you know, it, it's a higher risk company. And, and the other thing is because, with uh, clinical trials take so many years, you'll only get an RNS at each stage, right, of the trial. So when an RNS comes out, share price peaks as it did. And this is going back to your original question. Uh, I know it took a while to get there, but I thought I had to kind of that's fine. <laughs> I put it, you know, phrase it. We, that, we yeah, but, but, but you have to understand where it is because, okay, so they've got this clinical trial candidate. The RNS comes out. It's really positive for share price spikes because everyone's buying shares. And then there's going to be no news um, for a couple, you know, until you get that hard data or until the next trial results comes out, you know, X, Y, and Z. So it can be sort of three, four months before the next RNS that anyone cares about. So investors, you know, lose patience. So they don't really mind. People aren't actively trading the shares. The volume dries up. So if you're a long-term investor, I mean, Vactor went below a pound, um, you know, earlier this year. In February this year, it was sort of like 185p. Um, in kind of like May due time, I think it went it went below a pound. That's when I was buying shares, and that's you know, in my mind, if you if you want to invest as a long-term investor wait for the rns it'll come out the share price will spike and then when it falls back that's when your opportunity is um because what what i'm seeing happen more and more with evact and with lots of other biotech companies that i follow like a hemogen x or sizzle or um or any of them is, is that when their clinical trial results come out the share price spikes everyone's buying which causes it to spike more and then there's no news for a long time and, and the problem is, is that if you're an analyst like me, right, um, I can only really write an update about a factor when something comes out. So, you know, so you, you have no analysis, um, you have no you, people, people aren't buying. It's not really in the news at all. Um, and, and so there's going to be long periods of time where there's great value to be found before the next trial result comes in. And then on top of that, your problem that you have is that obviously, traders recognize i'm a long-term investor so this is not my style but traders recognize this they understand that they can buy the share um before the next rns comes out and then you know go long essentially trade on leverage and then the rns comes out they make loads of money and then they go short and they know that it will come back down before the next one so you 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 if you are a long-term investor and you're buying shares on the day of an RNS when it's made all the headlines, you're essentially just giving money to the traders. So you need to you need to be timing it along with them as well. So I guess I guess my I guess my point is is that a lot of the people who invest in the factor are, are um very scientifically inclined um and, and know more than I do about about uh, biotechnology, about oncology research. I'll have you know I'll happily say that. But often what they're doing is they're buying at the peaks when the RNSs are released and then they're losing money because people are trading the stock. So you have to be a little bit more savvy about when you're buying. And then it's a lot easier to hold as well, hold the shares for a long time if you know you're buying them relatively cheaply. Thank you, Charles. So to to, to finish you off now, and, and do thank you for that balanced overview of, of, of a VACTA there, because of course, 
it is very early stage still. Everybody hopes that they get towards their goal and they're able to deliver this treatment. Um, but of course, you know, as you mentioned there, not all companies that are at this stage do find that the final success. But you know, let, let's now look at a situation that they do get through uh, the, the next trials and they do get it to market. Of course, <laughs> that that long that is a long road ahead from from where we are now. You know, in terms of what else there is out there in the market at the moment, you know, if, if I had to get this through, are they, are they going to be a market leader? Are there competitors out there at the moment? Are there anybody else? Is there anybody else trialing um, si- similar treatment? You know, what, what does the competitive landscape look like for a factor? I, I think that if, again, we'll qualify that if, and there are people out there who think it's already proven and, and, and that, that, you know, if if Dr. Ruberson has got to the tumour, then it must work. AVA 6000, by extension, the platform must work. I would caution against that. But if it did work, then the AVA 6000 treats, um, is, is aimed at treating soft tissue sarcoma patients, which is a, a specific type of cancer. Um, but the platform would be able to be modified to treat almost any other type of cancer. So you could deliver chemotherapy to any cancer patient without side effects at all. Now, that would be completely revolutionary in, in the same way as uh, the smallpox vaccine, Edward Jenner. Um, it, you know, it, it, it would. And if you could combine those with, you know, the, the, the novel, um, um, the novel uh, polymers or the novel molecules that you have um, on the market to make, you know, chemotherapy a hundred times, a thousand times more effective, you're converging on, you're verging on a cure. Now, obviously, lots of different people are um, trialing lots of different other types of treatments. Um, and plenty of companies have tried to do what Avacta is doing. But, you know, Alistair Smith has been there for 20 years trying to develop this. So it's not, you, <laughs> it'd be very, uh, I would be very surprised if anybody else has anything um, similar on any level. Uh, the company I was talking about before, the ASX company uh, that I invested in a few years ago, Telix Pharmaceuticals, Again, that you know that that went up a thousand percent in sort of two or three years um, because they essentially did for radiotherapy what a bacter is trying to do for chemotherapy, um, and 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 the basic thing in my mind is that a bacter is you know I think it's worth sort of three hundred million pounds ish. This company could easily be worth three billion pounds in a couple of years, but but if the treatment does not work it will be relatively worthless and that, that's that's a fact i don't think anyone would disagree with that i think mean, it's just the reality they have a flagship asset that is incredibly promising and at an early stage if it doesn't work then investors will just leave and go look for the next one that's you know giving it a go essentially that's great that's very fascinating charles thank you very much for, for, for that assessment there so just as a recap of the stocks that we discussed today of course first up was premier african minerals we then discussed tech capital and finished off there with avacta so charles thank you very much for being on the podcast today yeah well it's been lovely to chat to you yeah i think i think you know i happily sum it up i think premier african minerals they will hit the targets. They're going to make loads of money. But again, it remains in a high-risk jurisdiction in Africa. Things can always go wrong. Uh, tech capital is a much lower-risk opportunity. But it, you, you know, I think your limit there over sort of the next year or so is you could, you know, double your money from sort of twelve p a share now to maybe twenty-four p a share, you know, over the next twelve months. Um, and then Avacta is an all or no- <laughs> is is an all or nothing zero sum game. You're either going to make a massive amount of money and find a potential, you know, 
chemotherapy without side effects, or you're going to lose the majority of your investment and there is no in-between whatsoever. Thank you. Thank you, especially for that that summary there and your views on those companies, Charles. So, yeah, once more, Charles, thank you very much. And thank you very much to everyone for listening. Thank Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember, all investment involves risk.